Hello and welcome to the CRV Podcast. My name is Jeff Wright. On this episode, we're kicking off our series of interviews with the candidates running for this year, running this year for President of the Southern Baptist Convention. First up, we have Randy Adams, and I trust you're going to find the interview profitable and enjoyable. So let's jump into my interview with Randy Adams. Hey, Randy Adams, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We are delighted to have you here and get a chance to pick your brain. Uh, How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jeff. Thank you for asking. Doing great. Good deal. Glad to hear that. And so, brother, you're running for president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm assuming, uh, knowing who this podcast is aimed at, most of our listeners are familiar with you, but I wanted to take a minute and maybe get to know you a little bit better with our listeners. And so, um, could you tell us about yourself? Tell us about how you were converted. Tell us about how you came to be working in the Pacific Northwest. Sure. Well, I grew up in Whitefish, Montana. My family's from the Northwest. My dad ran a sawmill near Whitefish and uh, as a child attended an Assembly of God church. And the first time I remember hearing the gospel in a way that I understood it and believed it was when I had a dog that died. I was probably five or six years old. And uh, I asked my mom when we buried the dog what would happen. And she said he would turn back into dirt. And I said, is that what happens to me when I die? And she said no. And she told me about Jesus and the resurrection and the fact that I could live forever with him if I gave my life to him. And that is when I became a believer. That's when I, as in my memory, I gave my life to Jesus. Now, when I was 16, um, my brother died, and he was 14. He died while running, uh, getting into shape for football. He was a great athlete, and to this day, we don't know why he died other than his heart simply stopped. And I remember that really uh, you know, shook our family, obviously, and it made me realize that without Jesus, life ends poorly no matter if you live 14 years or 104 years. And it became very important to me at that point to uh, declare my faith in a public way in, to my friends and in the school. And I did that, and I was baptized that year in the First Baptist Church of Whitefish. Uh, we didn't have a Southern Baptist Church in town. I met Southern Baptists when I went to college in Butte, Montana. I was a petroleum engineering major. That's what I thought I wanted to do with my life. And there was one Protestant group. There was a Catholic group. Butte's a Catholic town. And the only Protestant group was the Baptist Student Union, which was Southern Baptist. And I got involved with BSU, and it was there that I first read through the Bible in its entirety. It's there that we got involved in in-depth Bible study, learned how to share Christ through the BSU. And really, my life was changed greatly through the BSU because I got involved in the local Southern Baptist Church and joined it in Butte. And God called me to preach through the ministry of the BSU. So that played a really significant role in my life. Okay. I know education and pastoring followed. Can you fill us in on that and how you got from there to the Pacific Northwest? PhD was my last degree. Pastored three churches in Texas and Oklahoma. And, uh, and then after 19 years as a senior pastor in Oklahoma, the convention asked me to lead the missions and evangelism team, and which was a large team. It included collegiate ministry, all the church planting, all the international and domestic missions. It's all the stuff I loved as a pastor. And so my heart sank when I was asked to do that because I knew it meant leaving the local church. But 
God was in it and had eight and a half wonderful years in Oklahoma doing that, which really prepared me for the job I'm doing now in the Pacific Northwest. The Northwest Baptist Convention is Washington, Oregon, and North Idaho. We have about 500 churches. Uh, about a third of our churches worship in a language other than English. In the last week, I've been in a Russian church Sunday a week ago. Then with a group of Vietnamese pastors last week. Yesterday, I was in a new church start. Um, I'm a part of a new church plant, by the way, also uh, an elder in a church plant here in our area, in our town of Ridgefield, Washington. So anyway, that's what God brought me here eight years ago, and it's been wonderful. I really feel like my background as a pastor and a preacher and then understanding how the denomination, how our network of churches functions at the associational and state level together with the local church. It's really beneficial to knowing how Southern Baptists work and how we work best. Um, I think, you know, through the state convention work and my work with associations, I've learned that. Plus, I was a liaison both to NAM and the IMB when I was in Oklahoma, and of course, in that now also here. So anyway, that's kind of a quick, fairly thorough <laughs> run through of who I am. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. So if uh, if I'm understanding you, you know, the next thing I had in mind to ask you is why you are a Southern Baptist. It sounds like uh, you're a Southern Baptist because you saw the, uh, you know, you're a Christian who came to college, and you saw the benefit of cooperative missions. Does that sound right? Yes, yes. Uh, Southern Baptists are biblical. I understood before I became a Southern Baptist, I was not an Assembly of God, though I was raised that as a young child. The Independent Baptist Church I was baptized in, it was actually a regular Baptist church. They didn't do cooperation the way we do as Southern Baptists. That just made sense to me, uh, and the ability for Southern Baptists to have to develop a seminary system and a, and a mission board system like we have. You can't do what we've done without cooperation. So that, that made a lot of sense to me. By the way, then uh, a church planner went to my hometown, tried to start a church. It, the first one didn't work. There is a church there now. But my parents also saw the benefit of cooperation and, and the biblical nature of Southern Baptists. So they sought out the nearest Southern Baptist church in Kalispell, Montana. And a few years into that, several, maybe six, seven, eight years later, they were called to missions. And my parents moved to Pakistan and spent 12 years with the IMB in Central Asia and just completely changed their life. My dad, as I said, ran a sawmill, but he was very adept at working with governments. So he would negotiate a lot with governments in Central Asia to get our missionaries in place, to get projects established in those countries and, and get missionaries in to run those projects. So I owe Southern Baptists a great deal for what they've done for me and my family and my parents. And yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for, uh, for laying that out for us. And so, you know, years later here, you find yourself a candidate for the presidency. Um, uh, this will be your second nomination. We didn't get a chance to act on the first one in any fashion. And so could you help us understand what made you decide to accept these nominations to, to president? Well, sure. I, I really believe that we're in a struggle as Southern Baptists for the heart and soul of our convention. We've been in steep decline for the last decade, and I think I know some reasons why. And and therefore, our churches are losing trust in the convention's ability to advance the mission of God. I think our big, the big need we have, the big problem we have, and it, it's rooted in different issues, specific issues, but it's trust. We're losing trust in the system and in our ability to advance the mission. And I think the, the solution to that, to that diminished trust, 
is three things. One is transparency. We have a lack of transparency in many respects, financial transparency, performance transparency, and transparency builds trust. And so we've got to become far more transparent. Once you're transparent, you can hold people accountable. When you know what reality is, you can hold people accountable. So that's the second thing. Transparency builds trust. Accountability stops corruption, stops wrongdoing. And we need more accountability. And I can go into details and give examples on both of those, and we can moving forward. And then the third thing is participation empowers every church. Um, I want to expand the participation to every church in the Southern Baptist Convention to participate in the annual meeting through remote locations. Hmm. And so, for example, typically you'll have four or 5,000 churches involved in the annual meeting of our 47,000. Uh, however, through remote location uh, participation in voting, um, we could maybe grow that number by 10,000 or 20,000 churches, um, even churches in the South. Now, in the Northwest, traveling to Nashville this year, it's a pretty good distance. It costs a lot of money, motels, everything else, plus vacation time for bivocational pastors uh, and lay people. Um, but if the state convention or a local association provided a remote location, then uh, messengers could travel to that remote location much closer to them and participate. They'd still have the fellowship with the people in their area, but it would be far more cost effective to do it that way. And it's not only people like from Hawaii and Alaska and the Northwest or the Northeast, who are usually we're always distant from wherever the SBC is held. But even, for example, in Tennessee, you've got a lot of uh, you know, lay people, a lot of pastors, bivocational pastors and all that, uh, Alabama, throughout the South, that have a hard time attending the annual meeting. But they could attend at least part of it if there was a remote location or even maybe a technological way to do it. We did our annual meeting this year in the Northwest uh, via technology. I mean, we did a, uh, did a computerized, uh, uh, you know, where people could could log in. It was secure. And we actually voted. We, could, we had four votes, and it was all done via the Internet. And it was a secure system. Now, we're smaller than the Southern Baptist Convention, but I just believe that we need to move into the 21st century using technology and remote locations in order to involve more churches. Because when churches are involved, I think they'll, they'll contribute. They'll, they'll, they'll want to be a part of it. And what we're doing, what we're seeing is we're losing. We have lost five, over 5,000 churches to con- contributing to the cooperative program since 2007. In 2007, we had over 34,000 churches contribute to CP. In 2019, it was just over 29,000 churches, more than a 5,000 church decrease. People don't know that. And that's also a part of transparency. People really don't understand. The average Southern Baptist doesn't understand what's happening. We had $85 million more million contributed in 2007 than 2019, and over 5,000 more churches involved. Hmm. Uh, we're in trouble, and we are in a struggle. And if we don't, and that, that's why we can't just focus on particular issues. We've got to change the system. I'm a transformational candidate. I'm a rock-the-poke candidate. You know, if people believe we need to rock the boat and get transparency and open up the bank books of these entities and let us show show us how, how they're spending the money and what's actually happening in terms of report, uh, performance, I think that will do more to bring us back the transparency and the accountability than most anything else we could do. I think it addresses every other issue. Um, 
I'll just give you one more on transparency. This will kind of sh- this will shock your hearers, but Samaritan's Purse has a lot of transparency in their finances, and therefore they have a charitable rating. Uh, World Vision, most every charitable charity has a charitable rating. Uh, the North American Mission Board does not have a charitable rating because they're not financially transparent. Now, not only does Samaritan's Purse have a charitable rating, Planned Parenthood, whom we loathe as baby, you know, what they do aborting babies, Planned Parenthood is more financially transparent than the North American Mission Board. And Planned Parenthood has a charitable rating. NAM does not. And that's probably true for other entities as well. But there are some real reasons why we need more financial transparency from NAM. But to me, when I saw that, that is shocking to me. And, and people could say, well, but NAM and, and IMB and all of our entities don't rely on individual donors like Samaritan's Purse. And that's true. However, our churches deserve what Planned Parenthood's donors get. <laughs> you know, our churches deserve better. They deserve financial transparency from our entities and from the SBC. And we're not getting that. And, uh, and if you're not willing to be transparent, there's usually a reason why. If you're proud of what you're doing, you're transparent. If you're not proud of it, if you're embarrassed by the, by the results, you're not transparent. So that's a big, that to me is a huge issue for us as Southern Baptists. Yeah, there's a lot there that I'd like to, to follow up on much of it that I'm uh, very enthusiastic about. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more about the need to sort of make, make the annual meeting sort of the, it's not just the central activity of our you know, our, our convention, it's when our convention exists, uh, to make right. it available to more people. I've, I've paid my way on vacation time, uh, to more mm-hmm. annual meetings than I've ever had, you know, somebody help me out financially. And it does seem entirely reasonable in, in a year where technology has said, look, we can help you stay on task, stay, stay on mission even, you know, uh, when you can't meet together, that we could meld that with our conventional life and, and start getting more people involved. We say the headquarters is the local church, so how do we get more of the local church people involved? I think regionalism and technology sounds like a step in a good direction. Well, I think so. You know, over 80% of our churches uh, run under 100 our, our normal churches, those are normal churches, the churches that run 70, 75. Our median church in the Northwest is 50 on Sunday, so half of our churches are 50 and below. Those churches could lead the convention, could make the decisions that determine how we function if they had a vote and if they were able to be there. Um, we don't have to be led by a handful of people, in other words. Um, we can, and that's, by the way, that's what frightens some of the establishment is you lose control when you open up the system to another 10 or 20,000 churches. Um, but I think that's what we, we want. We don't want control, you know, and I think we'll get more participation, more cooperation. If churches have a voice, it just sure. makes sense to me. But, Certainly. Yeah. This has been a difficult year for Southern Baptists for a lot of reasons, but I remember when the annual meeting was canceled, I told some friends that, in some ways, the annual meeting is a chance to uh, release some steam, right? You can get to a microphone, or sure. at least in theory you can. Um, you can feel like you've been heard in a way that you can't when we don't meet. And I think it's borne out that um, an inability to, to be heard or to speak has made this a very difficult year. And I think what you're proposing there would be uh, sort of a super remedy, that it would invite more people 
uh, to the table. And so uh, I'm encouraged to hear that. But the other point about transparency, it's interesting. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a friend in another denomination that's, you know, part of historic Christianity, affirms uh, much of what we do and is separated by secondary and tertiary doctrines. And he said, wait a minute, you're telling me that you don't know, you know, how much money North American Mission Board brought in this year and, and where that money went? And I said, no, I mean, I, you know, I might be able to pull enough chains to get some of that information, but it's not readily available. And he, he was just flabbergasted. He thought, you know, and, and he's right. This is a huge river of money flowing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's widow's mites in a lot of cases. And we can't exactly. just say, Hey, look, here's where the money went. Um, it was a, it was a clarifying moment for me and my friend sort of being shocked because I realized again, I'm, I've been a Southern Baptist forever. You kind of don't realize what you don't realize till someone from outside points to it. And uh, it was pretty stunning. It it really is. When you consider in 2010, uh, for example, or prior to that, we spent about 20 to 22 million on church planting from NAM a, a year. And we were planting about 1,300 churches a year in the first decade of the 21st century. Okay, we've gone from spending 22, 21, 22 million to last year, $69 million, over three times the money, and we're getting far less for it. Mm. Um, The lowest five years in church starts in at least 40 years are the last five years, and we're spending an extra $50 million. And how that $50 million or $69 million total is allocated, we don't know. We just get the one big number. It's a big black hole, that big $69 million. Actually, the budget was $75 million. But so where is that money going? Who's getting grants? How much of it is actually in the monthly supplements? How many churches are actually receiving money, church plants? We don't know. Joe Westbury, a pretty legendary reporter for Baptists, tried to find out, and they wouldn't tell him. He tried to find out how many churches are being funded per state, state by state. They wouldn't tell him. Well, this is not NAM's money. This is God's money given by Southern Baptists, the widow's might, as you said, and there's no way in the world they should be withholding that information from Southern Baptists. And my contention is they wouldn't if the information uh, displayed what they would think was good news. But if it's not good news, if we're not getting a good bang for our buck, then maybe you don't want people to know that. Hmm. And it's a huge problem. It's an unbelievable problem. And again, Samaritan's Purse and some others couldn't do that because individual donors look into things like that. But we're a church-based system, and so our individual donors to our churches don't look into things like that, and our churches have just put up with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, brother, um, that it 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 does seem pretty dramatic the way you've laid it out there, and I appreciate your calling attention to it. Um, kind of on the same front, I think that your candidacy has been associated with non-disclosure agreements, and you spoke just a moment ago about transparency. Um, could you address what, if any, role you think NDAs have in the life of the Southern Baptist Convention and um, just any other thoughts you have on that subject? Sure. And I don't know uh, fully how many NDAs have been signed, but I know they have been used frequently when employees are laid off, have lost their jobs, the VRI that the IMB did several years ago, pulling 1,100 missionaries off the field. I think to get the package that those missionaries were offered, they had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. 
you know, if you're in a technology company and you're trying to protect proprietary information, you, an NDA is, is appropriate. You know, you don't want one of your software engineers to go to another company and take all of the secrets with him. Um, but we don't, that's not our concern as, as Southern Baptists. So typically NDAs are used to keep people from talking, sharing disparaging information or something like that. And what I've said is we shouldn't be fearful of that. You know, we, we should, the truth is the truth. And um, there are laws against defamation and libel and slander. Um, but if it's the truth, it's the truth. And we should have a culture in Baptist life where we don't need and don't require people to sign NDAs in exchange for money, because that's typically how it's done. We'll give you this money if you sign this NDA. And I've never signed one. I've never asked anyone to sign one. To me, it it's a and, – and again, there may be times to protect an abused person, a, a victim, mm-hmm. where an NDA may be appropriate, but not just as a standard operating procedure. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have any place in Baptist life, in my opinion. Sure, sure. Well, thank you. I know that we have yeah. – um, we've talked about some things that are troubling, some things that we wish were changed. But I thought we might take a minute here just to to sort of highlight the good that the Lord is doing through Southern Baptists. And so I thought maybe uh, with you in a part of the country that isn't as familiar to sort of the home base of Southern Baptists living in the South, who um, who, who maybe don't know what's happening in the Pacific Northwest, what are some things that, that you see in the Southern Baptist Convention that you think are strengths, that you're seeing the Lord bless? What are some things that are encouraging you now? Sure. Well, even the areas in which I have great concern, uh, those areas are in some measure of strength. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, Southern Baptists, we started in the Northwest in 1948. There were 15 churches. Once the Southern Baptist Convention admitted the Northwest into the convention, that started a stream of people primarily, but also financial resources. But pastors started coming here. They began starting churches. And we went from 15 churches to over 200 churches by the early 1960s, for example. And um, so the way we cooperate to do missions, to do church planting, to send missionaries and fund them overseas, and to train our pastors and our missionaries in our seminary system, I mean, it's just phenomenal. And I think there's a lot of good there. Even uh, my uh, complaints and, and issues I have with North American Mission Board, there's still nobody who's starting as many churches as Southern Baptists. Um, it's just, in my estimation, we should be doing far more. And I know there are church planters who say, my experience has been wonderful with NAM, and to which I say, awesome. You know, I'm a part of a church plant in the Northwest. And so we appreciate what the what resources we can receive from Southern Baptists. Um, so there's a lot to be celebrated. There's a lot to be thankful for. Uh, the, the issues sometimes when we're talking about our missionary enterprise is just that we're not doing what we could be doing. You know, we have 2,000 fewer missionaries on the international field than we had 10, 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's because of a diminished level of trust, which has led to diminished giving over the, over the last 10 or 12 years. And so to me, that's that's a tragedy. However, we still have more missionaries overseas than any, anybody else. So it's it's certainly one of our strengths and a source of great satisfaction, our International Mission Board. I just think we could do more if we could build back trust, because with trust flows resources and people. 
And um, we have more capacity, much more capacity, I believe, than what we're seeing right now. Mm. All right. Well, brother, um, again, I hope this will come as sort of a, a positive question. Um, but for our listeners who, you know, who, who are a part of the disgruntled group, they're frustrated with some of the things you've mentioned here and they're considering, hey, we, we're going to take our missions dollars and our cooperative ventures in some other direction. Because as we've talked about, technology now allows us to connect in ways that are historically very unique. Uh, to, to the person who's thinking, man, it's maybe time for my church to step out of the Southern Baptist Convention. Would you address that person or that pastor or that lay member and say, this is why we should fight for a better Southern Baptist Convention rather than leave? Well, that's a great question. And I'm asked that question sometimes by pastors. Um, And what I use, my typical response is, I understand. You know, when churches are, are considering withholding funds or not funding certain entities or maybe pulling out altogether, I say, I understand. Um, what I've chosen to do uh, is fight, is try to make things better because we have 175 years that we're building upon. We, we almost all of us, unless you're a church planner, but even if you're starting a church from scratch, we're the inheritors of a great trust that took you know over almost two centuries to build. Uh, our missionary system, our, our, uh, our, our uh, seminary system, Everything that we have, we've inherited from others. And to break away from Southern Baptists and to start afresh would take more than a lifetime, in other words, to build. So we have a lot to build upon, and we have a lot to fight for. And at least for now, what my contention is, is that we would best spend our efforts to try to reclaim what we've inherited rather than walk away from it. Hmm. All right. Well, Randy, that's a great answer. And uh, brother, I appreciate your work. I appreciate the way that you're serving Southern Baptist now. I appreciate your willingness to serve in a greater capacity. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. And so listeners, uh, Randy writes regularly. Uh, I know that's pretty good alliteration for my my Southern Baptist friends (laughs) who who do their sermons that way. Um, The website is randyadams.org. And some of the questions I've raised here today, Randy addressed at greater length in a post from uh, just the 10th of March called We're All in the Same Boat Now. So if you go to randyadams.org, it's March 10th. We're all in the same boat now. I'd recommend that to you, uh, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Randy, if people want to keep up with you, uh, is there any other way, or would you point them to that randyadams.org? Well, right now, that, that's a good place. I've got a lot of articles there. I am, probably this week, we'll have a website launched that's going to focus only on Southern Baptist issues, only on this presidential campaign. And on that website, I'll have some videos. I'll have some of the, my primary articles, maybe 10, 10 or 12 articles from my randyadams.org site on that as well. Plus, people will have a way to sign up for more information um, over the next two and a half or three months as we move forward. So that website will be up soon, and I'll post links to that and, and the address to that on my randyadams.org site as well so people can find it. Okay. Well, listeners, you be sure and check out randyadams.org now and check back there for the future uh, announcement about the SPC-oriented site. Randy, thanks again. God bless you and all that you're doing, brother. God bless you, Jeff. Thank you so much, sir.
All right. Thanks again to Randy for coming on. Check the show notes for links to Randy's websites and be sure to give him a read. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the CRV Podcast. On behalf of all of us at CRV, we wish you all the best in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.